Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. How you doing? We're having a great holiday weekend. Well, welcome to part three of a series we are calling Suburban Legends. You've probably heard of urban legends, these crazy stories that usually float around the internet or through the office of somebody that knows somebody that's somebody that you know, you know, that this really happened to. And it's usually just a crazy story that turns out to be nothing but a myth, all fabricated, completely untrue. Those are called urban legends. Well, there are some suburban legends that each of us deal with. Some things that maybe you've come to believe or you just see and you just assume that might sound true, but all of a sudden, when you really look at them a little deeper, they're just a myth. So we're dealing with five different relational myths. We're on myth number three. The first myth was there is more than one way to God. And we had a message that talked about how that is a myth. Jesus Christ is the only way to get to the Father. Last week, the myth was living together first will prepare you for marriage. This week, the myth has to do with children. I'm not going to make any friends. If you're under 15 today, you probably won't like me, even well, hopefully like me now, but you won't like me after you listen for the next few minutes. Myth number three is kids just want to be happy. And a lot of people believe that. They think the reason they have kids is just to make them happy. But there are some consequences when we just seek to make our kids happy. Little brats grow up to be big brats, right? It's a myth to think that all our kids need is us to make them happy. You've probably seen this scenario with a disgruntled adult, and, and for some reason they're just not enjoying life, they're unhappy, and their parent usually says, Honey, all I ever wanted was for you to be happy. Is that what kids really need? Just to be happy? I read an article about a 16-year-old girl who left a party after drinking quite a bit. And another young girl was just out rollerblading. And the girl driving the car ran over her and killed her. Obviously, she was arrested. There was a trial. And the mother went before the judge and asked if the 16-year-old could be released to go spend the summer in Paris like she usually does. Kids need more than just happiness. An effort to try to make our kids happy, you know what we end up doing? Spoiling them. I mean, I want my kids to be happy. I'm not against my kids being happy, but my kids are not in the driver's seat. And there's a lot of families that the kids are the ones in the driver's seat. They set the schedule, they say what's going to happen, and they've got complete control over the family. Kids don't know how to handle that much control. And there's a generation of parents who just want their kids to be happy. And they end up not preparing them for anything in life. In a recent Time Magazine poll, two-thirds of the parents surveyed said that they spoiled their kids. Now, if two-thirds told the truth and said they spoiled their kids, what do you think reality is? It's probably closer to 100%. Our youngest, she's 11 years old. Since she was, She's in the fifth grade. Since she was in the third grade, she's been asking for a cell phone. She still doesn't have one. But she's been begging, Dad, I need a cell phone. i got to have one. It's going to make my life complete. Third grader, where do you think she got the idea that she needs a cell phone? Other third graders who have cell phones. It's like, what, what parents, can I talk to you for a minute? 
What, the third, third grader doesn't need, if a third grader needs a day planner to keep their schedule, something's wrong. And who are they going to call? What are they, you know, my goodness. There are things kids just don't need. They're going get, to get by okay without a cell phone in the third grade. Mine's made it all the way up to fifth grade. No cell phone. Still not yet. They're going to get by just fine without that next trip to Disney World. They're going to get by just fine without that certain name brand of something that they just have to have. They're going to get by, they're going to get, they're going to get by just fine without going to that movie or going out on that date or hitting the mall every Saturday. They're going to get by just fine. What's happened? And, and if, you, if you don't have kids and you're thinking, man, I should have gone to the beach today because he's talking about parenting and I'm not a parent. This is for you. Trust me. I'm going to talk to you about some things that can relate directly to you. If you don't have kids, never had kids, never plan on having kids, you can still hear a lot of what I've got to say today. When kids are spoiled, we create a culture of entitlement. And sociologists say that we live in a culture of entitlement. People thinking that the world somehow owes them something because they can breathe. You know, it's just like, hey, the world owes me something and now I'm, or I'm going to sue to get it. I mean, there are more lawsuits today than ever before because people believe they're just owed something. I read about a couple of lawsuits that kind of made me chuckle. One was a lawsuit against a company for sexual harassment because they had a mistletoe at the, at the Christmas party. And then another lawsuit about a psychic who had an MRI on her brain, and she said, I'm going to sue because I lost my, lost my psychic ability, and she won almost a million dollars. Now, my question is, how did she not know that that was going to happen? I was just... We have some big priorities as parents, and it's not letting our kids grow up feeling entitled and feeling like the world just happens to owe them something because mommy and daddy gave them everything they ever wanted. Here's your job as a parent. Write this down. If you're ever going to be a parent, if you want to say, hey, we're going to take a better, better run at this from now on, write this down. A parent's priority is to gradually transfer a child's dependence away from the parents until their dependence rests solely on God. That is our priority as parents is to take the dependence off of us onto God. Now, when kids come home from, when we first bring them home when they're first born, they need us. They, they depend on us. If they're going to get rolled over, we've got to do it. If they're going to get fed, we have to do it. If they're going to get the dirty diaper changed, we've got to do it. If they're going to get burped, we've got to put them up on our shoulder and we have to burp them. But if they're a teenager still saying, Mom, can you come roll me over? Something's not right. Or if they're saying, Hey, Dad, could you hit me on the middle of the back? I really got to burp. I got some gas really bad. <laughs> I mean, something's just not right when it's like that. The dependent, some, at some point you say, son, you can roll yourself over. The, the fridge is stocked. Go get your own food. I'm tired of feet. Eventually, they learn to do that on their own. Our job as parents is spiritually to take our kids from where they rely on us for everything until they learn to rely on God. But if we live our life thinking, Kid, my kids just need to be happy, that's all they need. They'll never learn to depend on God the way they were meant to. The Bible talks about this, especially in the Old Testament. There's some Bibles coming in the aisles right now. If you don't have one, please raise your hand. Take one. The Bible's yours to keep. You can read along in there. You can follow along on the screen as I read. First scripture I'm going to read from comes from the book of Deuteronomy. This is God through Moses talking to his people who have just 
been delivered into this place called the promised land after years of traveling in the desert, and God's given him these commands, these new laws, the way God wants to interact with his people. He's figured out, he's given them a way to protect them, and he says this in Deuteronomy chapter 6. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing, the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live. All right, here's what, here's what kids need. They need us to transfer the trust we have in God to them so they can in turn transfer it to their kids and they can in turn transfer it to their kids. You are making an eternal impact generations into the future when you invest in your child's spiritual growth and you stop just trying to make them happy. Now, before you think this is not for me, here's how people that, that you maybe don't even have kids. Here, here's how you can help. I, I grew up in a home, a broken home. My parents divorced when I was 10 years old. Never spent a whole lot of time uh, with my dad until I was older. And but but I had people that came into my life and made a difference. That kind of helped point me in the right direction. And even though I didn't go in the right direction for a long time, the things that they instilled in me. The things that they helped me learn as a young child really paid off and made a difference. And those people, most of those people that did that were not, it was not my parents. So even if you're not a parent, you can make a difference in the lives of children. You can make a difference in the lives of little ones. You, you see so much around LifePoint. We talk about Fam Jam and Studio 252. And that takes a lot of volunteers. That takes more volunteers than anything else that we do what we do for our elementary kids. That's designed that way. Because if we invest in kids, we're changing the world. We could gather a bunch of adults and come in here and sing and listen to messages, and that would be all fun and great, but we're all going to grow older and die. So we've got we've to let, didn't that encourage you today? We, <laughs> we've got to invest in kids. And that's why you, you're always going to see us as a church put a lot of investment in what goes on in those little kids' lives, to mess up their life with the good news of Jesus Christ, to, to involve them in an experience when they leave here on Sunday that they're dragging you back to be a part of that. So there's some things kids need. They don't just need to be happy. In fact, these things need to come first. There's six things. I'm going to go through them real fast. If you're taking notes, write them down. Look on the screen. Here we go. First one, discipline. Kids Need discipline. All right. Yeah. And all the little kids are like, Mom, why did we come to church today? They need discipline. Around my house, we have this had, not so much now because the kids are 11 and 13. We had this little ruler. And the ruler was pink. And the little ruler was affectionately known as Pinky. And Pinky had this persuasive power to get our kids to go to bed on time. Pinky would help our kids learn how not to talk back to mom and dad and to obey when mom and dad ask you to do something. I mean, for a few times I used Pinky, but more than, often than not, it was just, I just had to hold him up. I just had to show him. And all of a sudden, I'm going to bed, going to bed. Just want you to know I'm going to bed. Sorry I did that. Want you, I mean, Pinky was a great persuader. And yes, I, I whipped the, got the kids on the rear end with it a few times when they deserved it, especially when they were little. 
Discipline is not something you do to your kids. It's something you do for your kids. And you might think, oh, but they're so sweet and cute. I don't want them to get mad at me. I don't want them to get mad. They're going to say they hate me. They're going to grow up not liking mom and dad because we discipline. Look, look, they're going to have plenty of buddies and plenty of friends. They don't need us to be their buddy and their friend. They need us to be a leader in their life and make a difference. And that's where discipline comes in. That's our job as parents. Discipline our children. Here's a, here's a cold, hard fact. This was a quote by a guy named Zig Ziglar. A child who has not been disciplined with love by his little world will be disciplined without love by a greater, big world. Kids are going to get disciplined. Wouldn't it be better if it was for them by somebody they loved rather than to them by somebody that doesn't love them? We're the ones charged with disciplining our children. One day when our oldest first went into middle school, she came home one day and she was mad. She was angry. This teacher had the nerve to come in because the class was talking and it was just a few people being disruptive. Not all of them. I don't, you know, my daughter said she wasn't involved with it. So I believe her. I haven't caught her in a big lie too big yet. And so she, she was upset because the teacher said, you need to write the policy about being quiet in class is like a paragraph long. You need to write it. I think it was 350 times before tomorrow morning. This was a couple of hours of just sitting and writing, sitting and writing. And when she first told me that, I was like, give me that teacher's name. I'm going to call her and I'm going to tell her. What, what's the, my, she wasn't talking. Why are you punishing the whole class? What are you doing? But then I thought, well, hold on a second. That's not the best thing I can do for my child. So I didn't let her know that I thought that might be unreasonable. And if you're a teacher, you're like, trust me, that's reasonable. I didn't say anything when, we, when she got home, when I got home. I said, Molly, you need to write it. What? I didn't do anything. doesn't matter. The teacher's the authority. She said to write it. I don't think it's way out of line to ask the class to do that when people are being disruptive. There were parents calling, and the teacher just got all kinds of, of headaches just because of this one little thing. But I made my daughter write it, and here's why. Even though it was not fair, it was a good lesson, and hey, sometimes the world's not fair. But there's going to be a day when she's grown out of our house, married, got her own job, and the boss comes in at 4.30 and throws a bunch of work that can't possibly be done before it's time to go home and do whatever you have planned at home. And then what's she going to do? Call me? Dad, call my boss. He's making me do all this work I'm not supposed to do. Of course not. Sometimes life's not fair. And by putting a little bit of discipline into our children's lives, and not running to every little thing and rescuing them and making them think, well, my mom and dad, they're going to make sure I don't have to. Instead of doing that, let them understand and experience that sometimes life just isn't fair. Sometimes you may get consequences for something that you didn't do, right? Anybody else done that? I have. The sooner our kids can learn that, the better. Here's a couple of Proverbs about discipline. Proverbs 19 says, discipline your son, for in that there's hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. Proverbs 29 says, The rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left to himself disgraces his mother. Discipline your son and he will give you peace. He will bring delight to your soul. Now, when it comes to discipline, there's a couple of rules, and you've probably heard this before. There's a right way and a wrong way to discipline your children. When our girls were about 9 or 10 years old, I, I sat them down individually 
And I said, look, you're, you're almost 10 years old, and spanking is just not the way that we're going to punish you anymore. We'll punish you by other, other consequences, taking away privileges, things like that. Just because in our house, I think that's, that's about the right age to start saying, this discipline's not going to come from Pinky so much, although I reserve the right at any time to threaten with him or use him. So when it comes to discipline, when it comes to, to physical discipline, it's never in anger, and it's always with an explanation and a conversation. That was our rule. Okay, the physical discipline, it, it happened in our house. And it's okay for that to happen. Ask a first grade teacher to pick out the kids that are disciplined at home and the kids that aren't. And I bet, I bet she can, or he can give you a list and say, yeah, that kid, that one's not afraid of anything. They never get spanked. This one does. And I guarantee most of the time they're going to tell you that there's a difference. You might think, I don't want to spank my child. It just seems so mean. And it's, it's not something you're doing to your child. It's something you're doing for your child. Now, if you've got anger management issues or rage issues, obviously you probably, you shouldn't do that. But most of us should feel the freedom to discipline our children. It's something that we do for them, to help them, not to hurt them. Okay, another thing. Discipline, second one, limits. Research shows that kids with less limits are less happy. This is true. Our our job as parents is to set reasonable limits for our kids. Imagine if you told a bunch of kids, go out and play a game of baseball and there are no rules. Wouldn't be any fun. (laughs) What would you do with the bat? Where would you throw the ball? But if there's no rules, if there's no, no limit to how things are supposed to work, then it just wouldn't make any sense. And to a child, life makes more sense when there's limits. Don't your kids do that? Your kids ever push you to find out where the limits are? Mine are very clear now where they are, but they'll, they'll give it a shot every now and then. Let's just see where the limit is. Let's see how tough old dad is. And, and they'll do it. They need those limits. They seek them out because they need that in their life. Next thing, standards. Kids need standards. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. There are standards. The world has standards too, and God has standards. More often than not, those, never ma- those don't match up. God's standards are usually up here, the world's are down here. We have two girls, and they're growing up. And I know what's coming. I know what's going to happen. And I anticipated that when they were really young. And from a very young age, for our girls, they get dates with dad. We go out on dates, do whatever, just go out on a date. And, and as they've gotten older, I've added into that date conversations about this is how a boy should treat you when you go on a date when you're 33 years old. When you, <laughs> when you finally get to go, this is how he should treat you. This is what he should say. This is an open the door. All that kind of stuff. So there's a standard. So I pity the first guy that takes my girls out because I've set the standard. I mean, their expectations are way up there. Now, some of you have boys that are the age of my girls. You better be instilling some standards <laughs> in those boys' lives on how you should treat a girl 
on a date and how all that's supposed to work because I will take the pastor hat off and come for you. So be instilling some standards in your boys' and girls' lives. Kids need it, and it'll change them if you do it. In our house, we have a standard. It's just been a standard that I, that I enacted a long time ago when the kids were even younger, that our standards should at least be what the world standards are, right? So if you're not 13 in our house, and only one of ours is just recently 13, you don't see a PG-13 movie. And even then, I have the right to preview it and say no, depending on the content. That's just our rule. 13, you can see it, maybe, if I say it's okay. Under 13, under no circumstances, no matter if I watch it and think, well, that's not bad, doesn't matter. Because if the world, and somebody out in Hollywood are the ones that make these you know, rating standards, if the world says it's PG-13 and somebody under 13 shouldn't watch this, what should my standard be as a person who's trying to instill godly values in my children? It should at least be that. So that's our rule. You're not 13, you don't see a PG-13 movie. Young boy, 15 years old, one day goes into his mother and says, Mom, I want to go see this movie. It's R-rated, Mom. I know we're not supposed to watch R-rated movies, but, but, but I really have to see it. And it doesn't really have that much bad stuff in it. There's one violent scene and, and one naked rear end. That's it. Nothing else in the movie. And, and the rest of the movie is fine. And, and you know, he's just begging his mother to give some leniency so he can go see this movie with all of his buddies. And, and his mom says... Well, I'm not sure when you think about it. And so she decides this is a good teaching moment. He thinks, well, it's just a little bit of nudity and a little bit of violence. It's no big deal. It's not going to spoil the whole movie for me. She said, son, why don't you come in the kitchen? Let's make some brownies. You can lick the spoon, lick the bowl. And, and, and the son's all excited they're going to make brownies. He's thinking, I, I've won this. Mom's making me brownies. The world's good. I'm going to get to see this movie. She's making the brownies. She's getting ready to dip it into the pan. She goes, oh, there's one more ingredient. Could you take this teaspoon, go out in the yard, and get about a half a teaspoon of dog poop and bring it in? I'm going to put in the brownies. So he gets the dog poop, puts it in. They stir up the brownies, and she hands him the spoon. <laughs> Fifteen years old. You think he licked it? Mom, are you crazy? That's got dog poop in it. Well, son, it's not enough for you to taste it. Yeah, but I know it's in there. It's not going to change the taste of the brownies at all. And you see where she was going with that. Just a little bit of dog poop, that's not going to change the brownies. And he's saying, just a little bit of nudity, a little bit of violence, that's not going to change the brownies. Our kids need standards. And it's our job to set those for them. Another thing our kids need, that's love. Deuteronomy 6 verse 5 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. That's everything. Everything I have. I need to love God with that. Too many kids see parents loving God a little bit. Just like when you go to get your flu shot, you know what's in there. A little bit of the flu virus just to make you immune to it. I think the same thing happens when parents just love God a little, just instill a little bit in their kids. It makes them more immune to it than it does attracted to it. The best thing I can do as a, as a parent is to teach my kids to love God with all their heart, soul, and mind. Then they need to see me doing that too. Next thing, they need an example. Deuteronomy 6 says, These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door, the door frames of your houses and on your gates. 
Today, that would say, teach your kids. Put reminders on the refrigerator. Read scripture together. Put it on your dashboard if you have to. Wherever you have to, instill godly values in your kids. You know, kids are busier today than ever before. Every sport's being played, and, and they're busy all the time, and music and sports and dates and movie, all this stuff going on in their life, and they're so busy. I recently read an article that says kids are more stressed out today than ever before. And I'm thinking, no surprise, where do you think they learned that from? Where do you think they learned to overschedule? Where do you think they learned to put all their energies in work and achievement and doing and being? Where, where do you think they learned that? They learn it from us. When our example needs to be a more godly example. If your kids feel disconnected, maybe it's because you're disconnected. If your kids are always in a hurry to get somewhere, maybe it's because you're always in a hurry to get somewhere. If your kids can't stick around and, and, and build deep friendships, maybe it's because you can't. And the best thing you can do is to show them and walk with them and show them how that's supposed to happen. If you're busy all the time, your kids will be busy all the time. If you yell, they'll yell. You know, you've heard about the mom coming in the house, the kids are yelling. She's like, where did you learn to yell? Well, you, mom, that's where I got it. Kids expect an example. One time on this PG-13 rule, my youngest said, you going to watch that movie? I said, yeah. Well, if I can't watch it, why can you watch it? I was like, go ask your mom. <laughs> she, can, she can shed some light on that for you. They need us to be an example. Kids who become active Christ followers, here's some stats. This is from Time Magazine. If mom and dad went to church, 72% of those kids will. 72% of kids will as adults. If only mom went to church, 15% will as adults. Listen to this, dads. If dad only went to church, 55%. If neither mom nor dad, only 6% would go to church. The best thing you can do for your child is love God. Then the last thing our kids need, they need our time. They desperately need our time. You will never regret spending time with your kids. Never. I've never known of a, of a family, of a mom and dad, watching their child drive away to college or watching their daughter walk down the aisle and look at each other and say, we just spent too much time with that one. Man, we just... You know, I took too much time off. I, I just, I, I built too big of a relationship with that one. I just, man, I just can't believe it. I wasted all that time with my kids. People don't say that, but you know what people say? Oh, I wish I could get it back. I, I wish I could go back in time. Oh, I wish I had just five more years. I wish I would have worked less and played more. I just wish I would have. See, with little life experience... You know, kids at 18 years old, they really don't have a whole lot of life experience. By the time they kind of figure out that they can have some control in life, they only have a few years and they get some life experience, but it's not much. And you might be showing, you love, showing them you love them in many ways, but kids translate time to love. The time you spend with them tells them how you feel about them and where your priorities are. Not, not always scheduled time. I mean, spontaneous time. Just, 
just out of the blue. And I, I'm, a, I'm an extremely spontaneous person. Anybody that works with me, they're like rolling their eyes like you would, you don't know the half of it they're saying. My family's thinking, oh, yeah, right. Yeah, he's spontaneous. Definitely. That, because of, of my spontaneity, we've enjoyed more time as a family than we ever could have by planning. I'm a terrible planner, great at spontaneity. Some of us probably need to meet in the middle. One day I'm taking my, at that time, fourth grader, our youngest Abby, to school, and it's on her birthday, late January. We're pulling in in the carpool line, and I'd planned this. To her, it seemed completely spontaneous. To me, it was like two hours old. I'd planned it like that morning, and, and I said, Abby, let's skip school. It's your birthday. Let's go to the mall. Let's go out and eat. Let's just have fun, just you and me all day. She's like, really? Yeah, let's skip. I won't go to work. You don't go to school. Let's skip it. She's like, are you serious? And her eyes are getting bigger like, this is not happening. You know, I'm, am I alive? I've died and gone to heaven. First words out of her mouth. She sat there for a minute and thought. And I said, you want to do it? And she goes, I got to call mommy. Got to call us. <laughs> so I'm not kidding. So she used my cell phone because she doesn't have one. And, and I hand her my phone and she calls Cinda. And obviously I'd already cleared that with my wife that it was okay to do after some persuasion. And we skipped school. And I skipped work. And we still have pictures, goofing off at the mall, having fun, just being together. And that spontaneous thing, she would probably still tell you, oh, I remember that, I remember what we did. And I bet there's going to be a day she's going to be in the carpool line with her little ones. And she's going to say, let's skip school. Let's go spend some time together. Whatever I didn't get done that day doesn't compare to what I did get done that day. Kids evaluate our love for them, not by what we say or give them, but by the amount of time that we spend with them. It doesn't take a lot of money to create memories and to spend time with kids. Hey, I, I said this first service, I'll say it again. I, I personally, I, I need to repent in that area because you know what I do sometimes? I, I put all of you, our church, before my family. Anybody ever do that? Put your career, your vocation before your family? Ever mess up and do that? I do it. I shouldn't. I do. And I have. I'm getting better at not doing that, and I hope you are too. One day one of my friends told me he was, he was in a group, and our youngest was there. and He said, Abby, what do you all do on Friday nights? And she goes, oh, that's when my dad stays late at the office. And finishes up things for Sunday. And I was like, oh my gosh. You could count on one hand how many Friday nights I've done that since then. Because that was a big wake-up call that I get one shot at these kids. You get one shot raising your kids. One time. That's it. You can't go back and do it again. And you might think, well, I don't have a job where I can just say, hey, hey, let's skip school and have fun at the mall. I don't have a job where I can just take off a couple of days and get one where you can. Change. Yeah, you might make less money. But you know, money is a renewable resource. Money is something you can make more of later. Time with your kids, can't get it back. And I've known dads, moms, families who have honestly taken a lower paying job, done something they really were not crazy about, just so they could spend time with their family, and I bet they never regret a day of it. Make the money later. Finish all that career stuff later. Spend time with your kids now, because that's 
how they feel and sense love. How much they love God and how they treat others is going to come directly from you. And as a church, we're serious about partnering with you to help make that happen. Proverbs 22 says, Train a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not turn from it. There's a Hebrew word that comes out of the Old Testament. The word's pronounced chanak. The word actually means the palate of your mouth. And when a baby was born in the Old Testament, the Hebrew midwife would take this paste and put it on her finger, and she would put that on the chanak. And it would initiate hunger in the child. The child would take to its mother and get fed. Our job as parents for our children spiritually is to initiate hunger for God. That's our job. We're supposed to be the ones that initiate that hunger, that desire, that quest, that there's something greater than us and that spiritual depth. That's our job as parents. You may have done everything, all those six things I just listed. You may have done every one of those. And still, your child rebel. And still make a wrong decision. And still disappoint you. They will make wrong decisions. But you may think, I've done it all right. And look at him. Look at her. Look what they've done. You don't need to feel guilty about that. Because you can't control, when they get older, the decisions that they make. You're not going to be there. You can control it at five or six. Even 15, 16, you're not going to be able to control that. But start early, instilling in them and initiating that hunger for God and they'll have the best chance in the world of turning out the way God would have them turn out. I've told my kids, if, if, if you turn out bad and you rebel, it's not my fault. It's not. I'm serious. It's not. My daughter was sitting right there for service. It's not my fault. Because I've, I've done everything that I believe God wants a parent to do. And if they make the wrong decision, that's their wrong decision to own. Not my fault. So parents, if they've made wrong decisions and you've done everything you can do, don't feel guilty about it. Our job is to transfer dependence from us to God not to make our kids happy. Let's pray. Father, right now, I just want to lift up every parent in here, every child. And God, it's a myth to think it's just about making our kids happy. God, we want to help them and instill in them values that will last a lifetime. God, right now, I want to lift up people who, in this room, who pray every day for children but don't yet have them and people who will never have children. I pray that you could show them the way that they can have an influence in the child's life, even if it's through just praying for them or volunteering in our children's area. But every person in this room can have impact on a child and help change the world through that. God, I pray for that parent right now that's dealing with guilt because of a bad decision a child made as they grew. I pray that that parent is released from that guilt and knowing they've done everything they could. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.